If you have your Bible with you this morning, how about if you open up to the very, very beginning, go to Genesis and uh, find your way to chapter 12. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you're going to find them in the racks there in front of you in your seat. And um, if you don't own a Bible, we want you to take one of those with you when you leave today. It's our gift to you. We really want you to have a copy of God's Word in your hand. We've we've given out hundreds of those over the last few years since we started New Hope. So I know there's a lot of people that didn't have Bibles, so don't feel like you're alone in that. If you don't own one, feel free to take one with you today. While you're finding your way to Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to put a quote up on the screen for you that I want you to take a minute to chew on. I want you to see this statement, just kind of process it. Read it through yourself, and then I'm going to come back to it in just a moment. We are not saved by making promises to God. That's a confusing thing to a lot of people. See, that would be works-based, right? If we were making promises to God, that means it'd be dependent upon us and what we can do. And we break promises all the time. We're not saved by making promises to God. We're saved by believing God's promises to us because He never breaks promises, right? Same yesterday, today, and forever. No shadow of turning in Him. So, as a result of believing God, He calls us into amazing adventures. Now, you may be thinking this morning, He's never called me into an adventure. He may have called you and maybe you didn't respond, or maybe it hasn't happened yet. But as a result of believing God and joining Him in his, this life that He's called us into with Christ, He does call us into amazing adventures. And ultimately, your life becomes bigger than your life. I'm going to flesh that out for you by taking you to Hebrews 11.8 because I'm convinced that we step onto a stage of opportunity every single morning. I want you to see Hebrews 11.8 on the screen. And you're going to understand what I'm saying by this. Hebrews 11.8 begins talking about what we're going to look at in Genesis 12. Genesis 12 talks about Abram, or Abraham, as many people have come to know him. But in that period of time, in Genesis 12, he's known as Abram. Well, in Hebrews, in the New Testament, he's at that point called Abraham. Look at what the writer of Hebrews had to say. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance... And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Does that sound like an adventure? Some of you guys are set out on vacations that way. I don't know where we're going, but we're going. You just want to get out of town, right? Well, that's not the kind of adventure Abram went on. It wasn't just a vacation. Abraham was being called by God. And I'm convinced that when we get up in the morning, God wants to invite us into these adventures with him, a stage of opportunity. Whether small or really, really big, sometimes the biggest thing in our entire life, we have an opportunity to decide how we're going to respond to his call. So if you've got your Bible open to Genesis chapter 12, just hold your finger there for a minute. Because what I want to land on is this underlined portion. He didn't know where he was going. It sounds like he had to take a step of faith, doesn't it? That first step. Now, we would start with this premise. God calls the most unlikely people, right? He chose you, all right? Chose me. We're the most unlikely people. 
we would say Abram falls into that category. And we understand he calls us for a purpose, that he wants to conform us, wants to shape us. Well, let me remind you this Romans 8.29 on the screen. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become, what? Conformed to the image of his son. See, God had a plan in mind when he called you. Even if you feel like you're unlikely, he called you with a purpose. He wants to shape you into the image of his son. Uh, Paul takes it a step further in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Uh, let me drill down with you just a little bit. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says this, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not. See, it doesn't really sound like he's trying to win friends and influence people, does it? Paul is saying it like it is. God chose you to bring glory to himself so that we couldn't boast before Jesus Christ, but rather we could boast in Jesus Christ because we're nothing in ourselves if we're just really, really honest with ourselves. So Abram's the same way. God calls the most unlikely people to such important tasks. Think about Abraham. If you're not familiar with him at all, he's, he's old by the time this story picks up. He's, he's an idol worshiper. He's, he's been worshiping other gods. He doesn't know the God of wonders, the God of the universe. He's worshiping gods with a small g. And, and he doesn't even have children for heirs to, to have an offspring. And he's never been to the promised land, the land of Canaan. He's never been there before. So he's the most unlikely person to choose. Now here's what we know about Abram, both from the Bible and extra-biblically. He's a direct descendant of Shem. Who's Shem? Shem, Hem, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. So his lineage traces back to Noah. His great-great-great-great-grandpappy was Shem. Shem was an individual who settled in the land that we would call the Fertile Crescent. At this point, when our story picks up, Abraham, or Abram, is not a Jew. He's not an Israelite. He's a Chaldean. He lives in a region known as the Chaldee. Let me show you a map up on the screen so you get this image in your mind. Well, what you're looking at is what is known today as the Fertile Crescent. If you're familiar with the Middle East, you see the Mediterranean. On my left, your left, and on the right side of the screen, the Persian Gulf. Right at the head of the Persian Gulf, the headwaters, are the Tigris and the Euphrates River. That region, what we call today Iraq, the most probable area for the Garden of Eden, more, most theologians believe it originated, is this area known as the Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamia. And it was dominated by a kingdom at this point in time called Babylonia. So Abram is living in this region at the very headwaters of the Persian Gulf where the Euphrates and the Tigris River come together is a city, a metropolis known as Ur, U-R. And it's the Chaldean Empire, so it's Ur of the Chaldee. So he's a Chaldean. He's raised as a city dweller. This is a metropolis. Now we're told that he's referred to as a Hebrew. Where does that word come from? Well, the word Hebrew is actually in the Hebrew language, E-B-E-R, Eber. And so when Abram came from the area of the Euphrates River, all the way over by the Persian Gulf, over to the Promised Land, to what we know today as Israel, the Canaanites living in the land called him a Heber, H-E-B-E-R, because he came from the other side of the river. That's what Heber means, or Eber. It means from the other side. That's where Hebrew comes from. 
So that's his origination and his roots. Now, he's raised in a culture of people who don't know God. It's a pagan environment. They don't know the God of wonders. They don't know the one true God. They worship the moon. They worship the stars. They worship the sun. And Joshua tells us that that's the way that Abram's family was. Look with me on the screen at Joshua 24.2. It says this, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, Eber, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Small g, do you notice? They didn't worship the one true God. So that's how Abram started out. God called him out of his old life. His old life was idolatry. And and this is a really important image that God uses the very imagery of the moon and the sun and the stars, the things that Abram's family used to worship, to remind him of how he's going to bless him. Because he took him outside at night and he said, you see the stars? Well, Abram knew all about the stars because his family used to worship the stars. God says, as you see the stars in the sky, that's how I'm going to bless you. We'll get back to that in just a minute. So Abram didn't know the one true God. He had done nothing to deserve knowing him, and yet God graciously called him just like he's called you. But let's move forward into verse 1, chapter 12. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. In other words, start walking and I'll tell you when to stop. I'll let you know when you're supposed to come to a stop. Now, the Bible represents this passage with a present participle, especially in in Hebrews 11.8 when it refers to Abram's response. It means that when he heard God's voice, he responded. He immediately jumped up and went to action. While he's being called, he responded to the call. Now, keep this in context. Abram is secure. He's from a well-funded family. He didn't have to leave his home. He could have said, not now, it's not good timing, God. Maybe after I've got my retirement fund in place. But when God calls, that's the moment that you respond. And Abram did that. I want you to notice very closely in verse 1, this call has a command to go from three things to one thing. Look at the three things with me on the screen. Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house. Leave those things which would be a natural source of security for you, those things that you're most comfortable with that you've grown up around and go to the one thing that I'm calling you to. Now, I put it in your notes this morning in the bulletin. You'll see these three things. He's told, first of all, his country. Well, what is that? When God says leave your country, he's telling him to leave behind your nationality, the largest people group in which he functioned, those whom he identified himself with. The second thing he's told to leave behind are his relatives, his people, those individuals which were his tribe or his clan in which he had his identity and his security. And the third thing he's being told to leave is his father's household. Now, for an ancient, that meant leaving economic security. That means you're giving up the right of the inheritance. You're leaving behind your nationality, your clan, and your financial future. Because God's claim on our lives always requires us to leave things behind in order to move forward. We're on this new journey. And these first steps are sometimes the hardest ones. If you're Abraham, and I'm thinking I'm like Abraham, part of me really wants to stay in the Ur of the Chaldees. It's like Atlanta or New York City or Beijing. It's a metropolis. It's where things are moving and shaking. It's where he met his wife. 
It's where he'd like to raise his kids if he ever has children. It's where the family can be together. So I'm thinking part of him wants to stay, but he listens to God. Now, what we understand from this story, just a moment, and we'll come back to this in the month of November when we really get into Hebrews chapter 11, but we understand that Abram did compromise a little bit. He took his dad with him on the trip. He did leave the Ur of the Chaldees, but he took Terah, his father, and they went to this region known as Haran, H-A-R-A-N, and there he stayed for about 15 years waiting for his dad to die because his dad was very aged. Now, we, we see in this passage that God said there's a response. If you'll do what I'm calling you to do, there's a promise. It's an unconditional promise. He said, I'm going to reveal the path to you. There's no visible certainty of where he's going. He's just telling him to leave and go to this new land. He's supposed to step out in faith. And these faith steps really require obedience on our part. He didn't know the way, didn't know where he was going, but God says, I'm going to show you the way. Would you go? The crickets, I hear. Would you go? Would, would you, if God said, leave everything you know? See, natural instincts kick in pretty quick, don't they? When everything is screaming inside you, no, this is what I know. This is comfortable. This is my world. This is secure. What would you do in that moment when you know that God's got his claim on your life? Because these are the moments that determine whether or not your life is going to be bigger than your life. Are you going to step out? Well, God gave him some unconditional promises, an unconditional covenant. What I want you to see in the next verse are these five I wills that come his way. Look with me at verse 2. And God's response is, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse and you and in you all the families, that means clans and nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Did God make his name great? Let's just deal with that one first. Planet Earth, 2013, 15,230,000 Jews living today who can trace their lineage back to one guy. As a matter of fact, this is really cool. I know it's a deviation, but just, just hear me out on this. There was genetic research that was done within the last few years. A scientist who loves studying these kind of things found Jews all over planet Earth and decided to try and chase, trace their DNA lineage to see if it really did go back to the Middle East to one source. And so they, they took samples from all over planet Earth and indeed traced a genetic line all the way back not only to the Middle East, but back to the area of the region that we know as the Fertile Crescent. Wow, how cool is God? <laughs> I know, that wasn't what I was trying to go for, but I just wanted to deviate for a minute. Okay, so Abraham's identity we're seeing here is supposed to come directly from God because here's why. He said, I want you to leave everything behind. Leave your clan, leave your nation, leave your financial security, and I'm going to make your name great. So God's telling him, your identity is going to come directly from me because to have a great name is to have a good reputation and to have a secure identity, and that identity is in God. And I find it fantastic that God says, I intend that you would desire and pursue greatness, Abram, and I'm going to make you great on planet Earth for my sake. 
Not greatness for Abram's own ego and Abram's glory, but greatness because of God and the God that he's going to represent. So Abram trusts God implicitly, not perfectly, we've already seen that, but he's willing to respond. And so a large household begins a migratory move, leaving behind everything that they knew that was familiar. No microwaves, no hot bathtubs. Remember, he's a city boy, and he's about to go on a camping expedition. Go with me to verse 4. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now he got sidetracked. He stayed in Haran for 15 years, waiting for Terah to die. But at that point, he responded to God's call. So despite his age, he's 75 years old, the responsibilities, these various commitments that he's got, he steps forward into this new venture of faith in obedience to God unhesitating, living out faith in the middle of misunderstanding. Now, if that statement caught you by surprise, it's because for the last three weeks we've been talking about what faith looks like, meaning leaning into his power and trusting him for great things. But that's not only what faith is. Faith is not just trusting God for great things, but it also involves a commitment to live as he desires you to live in the midst of misunderstanding. Even when things are confusing and tough and hard, that also is faith. So you can believe God for the great things in your life and have faith in that, but also believing and trusting him during the really, really tough times. Go with me to verse 5. It says this, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. It appears to me they were not slothful. Even during the 15 years of being sidetracked, they're fairly industrious, and and they've increased their household. And then they start this 400-mile journey. Now, mind you, They've already traveled from the Ur of Chaldees to Haran, which is a 600-mile journey. So imagine leaving here this morning, setting out in the parking lot, and walking from here in Hazlitt to Knoxville, Tennessee, and you got everything you own with you in your carts and with your horses and your donkeys. 600 miles. And then after that, you're going to go another 400 miles to get to the promised land. I, I just found it astonishing when I understood in Bible college this land that he walked into was full of barbarians. Matter of fact, check it yourself. Google up later today the Canaanite people. The Canaanite people were barbarians. They were brutal. They they took children and threw them into burning fires as sacrifices to their gods, small g. That's the promised land, and it's full of the Canaanite people, and that's where Abram's being sent. In the midst of all these promises, he encounters the barbarian horde, this pagan group of people. Genesis covers more than 2,000-year span of time. In the 2,000-year span of time represented by that book you have in your hand, it covers 20 generations of people, and yet one-third of it is focused on the life of this one man. What a reminder that God really, truly considers individuals valuable. 
because he's dealing with Abram not just in a personal capacity. See, it's not just about Abram because his life is bigger than his life. It's not just about what he has in the here and now, but what God wants to do through him. So God's got a view to future ages, and he's dealing with Abram on a personal level, but also because his life is bigger than his life. Let's go to the last verse we're going to look at today, and it's verse 8. It says this, Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. He pitched his tent. I don't know if you go camping today how long it takes you to set up your RV and push the little automatic buttons on it, or, or, or perhaps if you put up a pop-up tent, it might take you five or ten minutes, maybe 20 minutes, some of you less inclined to maybe an hour. When you pitched a tent as a nomadic people, you're talking about an all-day affair. So this isn't something you put up in the morning and you took down at night because you didn't like your campsite. He pitched his tent. He drove his stakes into the hard desert ground. And what did he do? He built an altar. See, he pitched his tent means he stayed there for some time. And then he's not ashamed to worship God openly while his pagan neighbors are watching him. And I'm thinking the altar was built outside because I'm doubting that Mrs. Abraham allowed him to build an altar inside the tent. Just thinking, okay? So he's got the altar outside. All the pagans can see him, and worship has consequences. We're told here that he called on the name of the Lord. It Literally, in the Hebrew text, it means he began proclaiming God's name loudly for everyone to hear. Would you do that? Would you do that to the degree that everybody would know who you belong to? In the midst of a foreign and thoroughly pagan land, Abram not only pitches his tent with his household, but he puts up an altar which causes smoke to go up and everybody can see it, and he proclaims the name of the Lord God whom he had never known, who has revealed himself to him, He's really shining like a bright star in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Wherever Abram went in the land, and you'll find this in November when we come back to it, wherever he went in the land, he was always marked by his tent and his altar. Putting his stake down where God told him to move, he moved to, and there he built an altar. You can trace his steps all the way through the book of Genesis by where he built altars and called on the name of the Lord. What are you marked by this morning? How do people identify you? What are you known for? How are you responding to the call of God on your life? Because I I promise you as I'm standing here this morning, how you respond to God's direction determines the significance of what God will do through your life. And you will discover if you respond to his call, your life can be way, way bigger than your life. Bigger than you could possibly imagine when you join God in these adventures. So Abram started really slow and he wasted some years. Maybe you can identify with that. He wasted 15 years in Haran from what I can see in the story. Yes, his his household increased, but he didn't immediately obey the way that he should have, the way that God called him to. So he started slow He got sidetracked a little bit. 
And he dealt with compromise along the way, as you know, if you know the story at all. But if God can use Abraham, can he also use you, even if you've been sidetracked? Absolutely. That's our God. So here's what I challenge you with today. If you hear God calling you to something new, something you've never been to before, and it's scary. I've been there. I totally know what you're talking about. Don't wait. Don't wait another minute. Trust Him. If it's really His will, and He's made it clear to you that's what you're supposed to be doing, trust Him. So here's my prayer for you this morning. Because Jesus held nothing back for you that you would hold nothing back from Him. So the way that I'm going to pray for you and for myself and and for the previous services, the people that were in here, I'm going to pray for all of New Hope Church that we would become the people of faith that would take the step of obedience and would proclaim God loudly in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. That we would put up our altars in such a way that people could mark us and say, I don't really understand what they're doing, but I know who they belong to. That's what I'm going to pray for us about. Would you join me in that? Let's pray. Father, I'm, I'm certain that we're no different than Abram. We're told according to the, the hall of fame of faith in your word in Hebrews that these people were people just like us. And yet they trusted you implicitly. Help us to know what that looks like, God. And when we think we've trusted you as much as we possibly can, take us to the next level. Show us, show, us, show us what it means to be completely conformed to the image of Christ, to the full measure of the maturity of Christ. God, I ask for our entire church, for all those that have gathered here this weekend, for those that will listen online, for those who name the name of Christ, that you would Show us what it looks like to be bold on your behalf, to trust you even when our instincts tell us otherwise. Don't let us rely on our feelings, but rather to rely on you because you never change. Your promises are true. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Father, we believe that and we proclaim that. It's in Jesus' name we thank you. Amen.